0: Hi and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today for episode 362, John Carvalho of Synonym joins me and we're talking about this idea of slash pay and slash tags as well as tether on the Lightning Network. So what does this slash pay idea mean? Well, think about those times where you've tried to coordinate to receive payment And in some cases, it's a Lightning payment. In other cases, it's a Bitcoin on-chain payment. How do you coordinate that for somebody else? And slash pay and slash tags are one way that we could dramatically smooth that process. So in this episode, we talk about that as well as putting Tether USD on the Lightning network. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about it. And with Swan Bitcoin, there's also a service called Swan Private. This one is specially for high net worth investors and for entity investors as well. Swan Private was launched because we talked to so many people that had issues with the major exchanges. Some were having their accounts locked, customer service couldn't help them, and in some cases as entities, they couldn't easily onboard their accounts. They were stuck in a wait queue for weeks or even months, and many wanted to just talk to an actual human being who could answer their questions. Swan Private is a one-on-one Bitcoin advisory service, so you have direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin expert by text, email, and phone. So you also get access to Swan Private Insight, which is a monthly research report, and there are also webinar sessions on. If you're interested, go to swanprivate.com. Do you need to borrow against your coins? Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform to do just this. So you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously. There's no KYC required You can sign up in just 30 seconds and borrow. You deal directly with other people. You look through the offers there and you select an offer and the users control collateral together through the whole deal with all the interest paid at the end. This is using their two of three multi-signature technology. Now, if you have stable coins, you can go and put up an offer and lend them out at high returns. This is issuing an over-collateralized loan with the full interest guaranteed. Lend at hodl. Lend and borrow stablecoins on your terms at your desired interest rates. And there are no hidden fees. The terms and conditions are transparent. Go to the website. It's Lend.hodlhodl.com. Compass Mining is the world's first and largest online marketplace for Bitcoin mining, hardware, hosting, and ASIC reselling. Bitcoin mining is getting bigger and bigger, and so is Compass Mining. Compass is adding over 280 megawatts worth of hosting capacity this year. So with Compass, you can order a mining machine, have that shipped to your home if you're in the US, and use the at-home mining guide to get set up and mine from home. On the other hand, if you want to use the vetted facilities that have been vetted by the Compass Mining team, you can go and select an ASIC machine and have it sent there. They've got the options of new machines as well as second-hand machines, which might be able to go online faster, so there's a trade-off there. Now, go and check out the website. They've got material like a newsletter. They've got podcasts as well, so you can learn about mining. That website is compassmining.io. And now, onto the show with John. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, John, you're working on a lot of things right now and uh, obviously interested to chat about what you're doing and your new startup, which is, uh, you know, out there public now. Uh, So, do you want to just start off with a little bit of, you know, what it is and why you started it?
1: Sure. Um, So about 2 years ago almost exactly i had left bitrefill and kind of uh arranged to do this new startup you know in in stealth mode and so for the first like 3 months i basically tried to design a vision i guess you could say and my goal was basically to like prove the bitcoin thesis i guess which is like to say you know if we actually get hyper bitcoinization or you know in any version of bitcoin being like the primary storage of value like on earth like what does it actually look like how does it change the world and what do we replace the things that it disrupts with so like you know the, the three kind of pillars that i'm looking at is you know replacing big banks replacing big government or big regulation um, and replacing big tech and supposedly bitcoin is going to you know affect these things greatly you know these major central dinosaurs, you hopefully could say. Um, and so I wanted to think about, okay, all, we always tell like shitcoiners, we always tell no coiners like, don't do that, do this. But we just say use Bitcoin. We don't say like what we're actually going to replace the government with, what we're actually going to re- replace Twitter with and Facebook and well, how we'll actually replace like modern finance or contemporary finance. And so I came up with this kind of minimum set of technologies and services that would need to be in place to kind of make sense. And, you know, decided on a few products that we would have to make to make this kind of minimum viable ecosystem for this Post bitcoinization society, and so that that left us with um, basically you know some typical things that you would expect like some wallet software, um, some server software, et cetera, and also some platforms you know like the kind of uh, an honest attempt at doing what you might call DApps, like locally formed applications you know based off of a more decentralized web of information. Um, but we were kind of left with this gap of interactions that didn't really exist yet, and and kind of the glue that would make this all actually work, and what I could come up with uh, the closest thing I could come up with was basically to have some form of way that two people could like look at a, a digital anchor or in, in what we went, landed on was a pub key and assign metadata to it in a mutual way and this would allow people to kind of move the algorithms and the curation and the reputation you know all of these kind of walled garden aspects from major entities to the user and so the the kind of more um original a or risky thing that we're doing as a company is making a, a protocol called slash tags and slash tags is basically a way of using key pairs you know the same kind of way that bitcoin does basically for everything. And so we don't use a blockchain for this at all, but it basically handles all of what you might hear people say as web three use cases or decentralized web use cases, or self-sovereign web, self-sovereign identity, semantic web, any of these things that are relating to like mutual metadata about digital things. We're trying to address those with slash tags. And so, you know, within this set of products, we're trying to basically show how to use, how to apply Bitcoin, Lightning, tokens on lightning, slash tags, and, you know, by extension, webs of trust to create this whole concept that we call the atomic economy, which is basically the full vision of realizing like post bitcoinization in a digital economy.
0: An ambitious goal, certainly. And I love to see these big ambitious ideas. And as you were saying, this uh, slash tags and slash pay idea is a very interesting one because for years in bitcoin there has been all these different standards and i think as you had in that thread and it's a famous xkcd it's like this idea of oh look there's all these competing standards let me make a new one to unify them all and then the end frame is oh now there's 15 competing standards instead of 14 and so obviously you're very self-aware in posting that so do you want to give us a bit of the historical context what were some of the attempts that have come in the past in bitcoin's history
1: so in the context of slash Pay, like what I'll, what I'll say about the XKCD comic and really all popular memes is that I'm learning more and more that popular memes are basically like a great place for disruption. People get really comfortable with like a simplified idea and they, they kind of stop exploring and researching the idea, but it's really incomplete most of the time. It's just a shorthand for an idea. And XKCD, I've really learned, is kind of like... It's a great place that that comic, I mean, is a great place to actually kind of disrupt and show how people are wrong about you know the way they look at that comic. Yes, it is, you know, kind of a meme or a joke to like always make a new standard, to always make a new tech that just replaces the old tech in in a slightly different way or compiles it. But that's actually how tech works. Like if you want to evolve protocols, evolve standards, evolve technology, you're basically just compressing what existed before into something that, you know, compiles it all into something more useful and and, you know, more convenient. And so making a standard of all the standards is in my opinion while a risky and hard thing to do it's what we're supposed to be doing in most of the time when it comes to technology and protocols and so slash tags is basically as i mentioned a way of using key pairs to identify uh digital things. It could be a person, it could be a website, it could be a domain, it could be an API endpoint, whatever. It could be a movie, it could be a file, any kind of thing that could be addressable in a network. And we kind of are showing all these different use cases of how you can apply this to network and and Bitcoin use cases. So the the SlashPay example is basically showing that, you know, in Bitcoin, we've had all these like progressing new standards for payments. Like we started with just you know we actually probably started with IP addresses way back at the beginning, um, and then that that stopped being used very early on. And we had the pub keys that were that people use for payments, the ones that the legacy ones that start with the number one, and we had multi sig that starts with the number three. And most nodes will support that. But then we started adding more soft fork you know payment options like SegWit. And legacy Segwit, legacy Segwit versus, you know, native Segwit, which is the one that starts with a B. And then we have now taproot addresses that are coming, which are the like the BC1M, I believe. And so just Bitcoin on the base layer itself has all these separate ways of paying. And then you even have separate standards for like expressing these as qr codes pay nims etc and so you have all these different ways of receiving and sending bitcoin and now lightning is starting to have the same problem we have like the lightning bolt 11 spec which is how most you know uh, people would create an invoice on lightning but then now we have lnurl as a new way of you know coordinating a payment and we have now arguments about you know, uh, Lightning Labs' standard of AMP versus the proposed standard from Blockstream of Bolt 12, um, the offers uh, spec. And so this is beginning... Oh, and we also have another one worth mentioning is PTLC channels, which are going to be incompatible as far as I know with HTLC channels. And so a lot of people think that the Lightning... Like there is one, the Lightning network. And I think that's a big misconception. I don't think that's how Lightning works. I think Lightning is a method of stringing channels of Bitcoin transactions together and whether or not somebody is compatible with your method and all of the ways that you kind of incorporate routing into that method is just whether they're in your lightning network or not. And I think that there already are multiple lightning networks. There will be many lightning networks and there will be some lightning networks that are compatible and some that are not. And whether they're compatible and whether they route together is basically whether your node supports this kind of multi-layered, multi-network routing to be able to abstract these ideas. And so, if you take all these payment problems on the base chain, the payment problems on Lightning, and then you also think about how Lightning is now going to be technically more than one network, you've got all this stuff of kind of that becomes not interoperable. And so, SlashPay was a way to show that if you just abstract all of this away to just one pub key, that you can use that pub key as an anchor. Into well, what we use in SlashPay is a DHT, and so basically you just have a file that you can find within a network, sort of like you would find in BitTorrent, and the, it's there's a whole like you know cryptographic way of handling this and, and way of finding this this file you know in a reliable way, um, and you can just tell people which payment methods that you support, and this way when two peers using this method want to pay each other or, or you know create an invoice or create an address you know on the fly they can basically look at their payment preference. Preferences, which payment methods they support and choose and match them programmatically automatically in the background so this way the user experience in an application would become you know i show you a qr code you scan it you and then automatically we're we, we're, we're already negotiating on how we're going to pay each other and you just say how much you want to pay and then your own you know servers or applications will handle this and just complete the payment you know both to, to both parties preferences so slash pay is just a way of taking all of that complexity and making it interoperable on a new standard that is kind of uh, abstracted above everything.
0: Right. And so first question that comes to my mind is, now I'm sort of thinking back through Bitcoin and Lightning examples. So as an example there is a version checking in bitcoin like so they'll sort of say oh do you speak this oh, i speak that and so especially in lightning network i think they will have this where it's like a feature bit or a version bit to sort of say ah oh, yes i speak this language and you speak that language now of course as you said even there there are differences there right so you have lnurl you have bolt 12 you have like all these different ideas you have bolt 11 the standard invoice and even in the bitcoin on-chain world we've got Payjoin and like bip 78 versus you know so There's all these different aspects of it. So then the question that I'm asking is how do we prioritize those different methods? Like, is it that, let's say you and I, we both have our slash tags. Do you set a priority order so that when I reach out to you, I can look, okay, this is John's priority order. He would prefer lightning, but if he doesn't, if you can't get that, he would like a pain him or he would like some other thing.
1: That's exactly how it works. Basically, it's like even LNURL, like LNURL auth, for example, it has support in its protocol for a fallback. So basically, if that person is scanning the QR code and it they don't support LNURL, authentic, LNURL authentication, you can have a fallback for a different type of authentication right inside the same QR. Well, we're taking that kind of idea and in like intentionally putting it to a protocol of basically where you would rank, you know, you would let you basically dynamically every time somebody checked and this means that you could hot swap out which payment methods you support you could have like your you could have multiple ln node ln nodes and take one offline and swap it with another like this, it's all dynamic because all they're using is your your kind of top level pub key and they're using that to contact you and see what you currently support and so you'd be able to basically say here are all the here are all the payments i support here is the order of preference and in, in, in which i support them and then basically you show me yours i show you my and we match and if we don't match we can't pay each other and if we do match we both we choose the highest order preference Um, and this is basically a way to kind of hopefully solve this problem in a way that allows all of these different technologies and payment methods to actually compete in the market excellent and so that brings
0: up that question then is there some kind of online requirement right so like in the lightning network it's traditionally it's seen like you need to be online to be able to take a payment because you're signing a message and so on so how would that work in the context of let's say a mobile user if they're not online at the time? Is it calling back to the DHT as you're saying or how does that
1: part of work? sure um so this this is kind of getting into the whole thing isn't fully complete yet. Basically, we we have a very early stage version of Slash Pay working, and there are gonna be a number of problems problems to solve, and a number of user experience problems to kind of design for, um, and we're gonna be tackling those problems within our applications. So we're basically trying to say that we not only will say this is how you could do it, we will also show you how you could apply these methods in our own applications so you can either copy them or improve upon them. But as far as what you're saying, yes, it is very much similar problem. Like like you have uh, lightning and you pretty much have to be online to be able to receive a payment. There are some kind of like hacks that have you know been created to kind of mitigate that requirement. But in the end, like if you want it to be full service and have the full user experience of all of this kind of customization and automation, being online is a requirement. There are certain payment methods that you might be able to be able to handle them in an offline way or even outsource the handling of them in a kind of trustless way, but depending on each payment type will depend on how much you can actually do that or not. Like, for example, if I'm getting paid to uh, an XPUB, then you know that you can generate you know a number of keys you know programmatically out of that XPUB. And that, that's one way you could handle this kind of situation. But if I'm paying like a raw lightning invoice, it needs to be online, right? Like you, even the DHT you also has to be online, but now you also have to have your note online to generate that invoice. And so depending on the payment method, you know, will depend on whether or not that that uh, that payment method is available when you're trying to pay over slash pay. So it could be something like where if my node is offline or my wallet is not open at the moment, then you might see different payment options. And the idea I guess is for all the payment options that would require a third party, to basically make the third party services that handle this as trustlessly as possible. And then even when that can't be done in a trustless way to have payment services, you know, like payment processors or or custodial temporary custodians and things like this. In the end, we we can't like deny physics, um, you know? And so there are going to be certain limitations to like, if you're not there to pay, then I can't pay you. And that's just a physics problem in the end and we can't make magic. And so I think that there are a lot, there's a lot we can handle, uh, much more than we can ha- that we do than we do currently. Um, but I don't think it will ever be perfect. It's going to be a moving target, really.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, the the benchmark here isn't perfection, but just at a high level, what happens if there is a payment failure? So, as an example, let's say you know I scan your slash pay, and the first priority is lightning, and then let's say you know uh, I try to I try to execute a lightning payment, but that lightning payment fails because maybe my node couldn't find the route or something like that. How would that work then
1: well it would be pretty much the same um you know you, you, the same as if your payment fails using lightning you know you either make a new attempt and lightning right now is not very reliable i mean many wallets that i try many payments that i made to make should i try to make fail Um, some of them fail and and have errors and i don't even understand why they failed some of them say payment in transit and then two minutes pass and i don't really know if it got paid or not (laughs) and you kind of have to like close the wallet and refresh it like there's still a lot of um, gaps to fill in the user experience and in the technology so i would say it will do just as good a job as your lightning node could um, except now you would have other fallback methods in addition to it and and this is a good segue to bring up that like another problem that we're looking at solving at the moment is removing the dependency on ip addresses for the lightning network because we, we see some potential for censorship and you know future problems with that so we're also looking at using slash pay and, and kind of dht methods and, and some other methods we're not sure which one we'll, we'll go with yet for basically abstracting away the ip address as well so this way when you're negotiating these payments creating these communications to negotiate these payments they're actually done within a file that can be routed as well um, so this way you don't have to kind of put yourself in a situation where people know where you're located or which ip address you're using another
0: area that uh, my friend rusty russell from blockstream loves to talk about is proof of payment so is that something you are handling as part of slash tags and slash pay or is that considered that's you know that's out of band or that's not that's not in the scope here
1: I think it will become more and more within scope. Let's put it that way. Already, we've figured out that, like, in order to do this in a a useful way, you kind of have to assign an order number to each interaction. And so now already you're, like, pretend it's acting just like an invoice layer you know a payment layer not just negotiation and so i could see over time where if slash tags and slash pay become popular that maybe people will just start using protocols on that on that layer instead of the you know just replacing the layer within bitcoin and within uh, lightning and just abstracting this away from from the node altogether because again you you need that proof of payment the proof of payment is useful for for certain purposes we also have use cases we want to do like say for subscriptions and allowances by using slash tags and the reason to do this all with slash tags is because you're using key pairs you can always prove and authenticate everything as you do it and sign everything and the test everything so it's it's kind of a very sound method for negotiating these types of arrangements like coordinating payments
0: right and so one other idea just with the key pairs and the dht this distributed hash table right How is it amended or edited? So as an example, let's say you you, you want to say, oh, I've got this new technology now and I want to put that at the top of my priority. How does amending and editing at work and who actually stores the table?
1: So that's that's a good question and an interesting question, because the technology that we're using to serve the DHT is called HyperCore. And HyperCore is based on append-only logs. And so append-only logs basically enforce a sequence of events, much like a blockchain or a Merkle tree or these kinds of things, and it can even c- contain similar constructions within them. And so HyperCores can have file systems inside, they can have you know a sequence that's enforced, they can be forked, they can have parts of the history totally deleted, and they can be deleted permanently to save space and still have integrity of the actual core itself. Um, So it's a very, very flexible method for enforcing sequence and enforcing that sequence in that in that data to be only accessible by specific keys. And so you can do things, for example, like have multiple writers for a core that can be like assigned by key and you can basically use this as a communication point. So the the DHT ends up being, you know, this very flexible kind of decentralized storage solution where you can have other people storing things for you but not able to manipulate them only you can manipulate them gotcha
0: then is the idea that there'd be a lot of people who are running some kind of dht storage node and there's many many people storing the same thing kind of like a BitTorrent
1: very much like a bit torrent um the longer term goal that we have in another product you know part of our stack that we've had to solve for and start designing is basically creating a monetized storage market like so you can incentivize people to store cores for you um there will be many purposes for hypercores and many reasons to serve them as cdns as websites as you know uh profiles as slash pay profiles as you know your your social media feeds like there's there's a lot of use cases that we can use to apply this to create a more decentralized kind of uh, wall-less garden Um, and you're going to need to be able to pay people and incentivize people to do this so one of the things we're also working on to kind of complete this vision is a competitive market that will basically show how you can apply webs of trust to as as to basically create a ranked oracle market um, and oracles being you know abstracted to not just oracles for like the DLCs and contracts, but oracles for like uh, providing any type of service that has a reputation, and so you can basically choose what quality and what price range, and you can weight the metadata about any provider that is within the market, and you can choose how much how much redundancy you want for your core, and basically purchase it, you know, in an automated way within our applications. This is the future, though. This is like like, we just started working on it. It's going to take some time, but it is kind of a primitive that's required to do the kind of the full full vision that we're going for
0: right so as an example for now it's kind of everyone stores everything and it's just a very simple well for now of- it's
1: it's you don't know who you, not everyone stores everything that's not how it works that would be a blockchain basically um yeah. you, only the people who want to store a core gotcha. and so it's more like 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 you said like BitTorrent, where it's like not everyone keeps a copy of every BitTorrent when they log on to BitTorrent. they uh they every torrent they basically choose which ones they want to serve and choose which ones they want to download and so you'll see that popular files will have a lot more people seeding them and unpopular falls will be very hard to find or, or gone forever in some cases.
0: And so then how do you deal with the question of let's say spam. Let's say someone just wants to maliciously just generate, you know, billions and billions of key pairs and make someone else store them. What's the answer there? Is it a storage cost or
1: what? You can't make someone else store them. That's, that's, that's the, the main primitive that, that prevents that is there's no distribution mechanism that's automatic within the system. It's additive. So you decide what you want to do. When you create a web of trust, for example, you choose to add someone. You're not just listening to constantly add whoever talks to you. And one of the Kind of basic functions that Slash tags is trying to provide is access control, and so basically it's a way of whitelisting and ranking and tiering, you know, any of the other keys that are part of your web of trust. So you create your own schema for weighting things, um, and we will we, we will provide you know initial default schemas for each for each use case, but you know you could basically customize them however you want, and you use these as ways of abstracting access control and permissioning. And so basically you say okay like. Joe is my uncle and that means he's tagged as family and so when he tries to access my HyperCore, my database, that he gets access to this set of files. And so when he is looking, you know, through whatever interface we've provided, looking, you know, perusing the files he has access to on the network, he will see whatever ones from me that he has permission for and he won't see other ones. And if you say come in and you're not family and I say, oh, this is just, you know, uh, you know, podcaster, then I might say, OK, well, he, he can have access to like my media profile and my blog and whatever, you know, my, my public feed, but he won't have access to my personal photos. And I can basically, you know, tag everything. That's why it's called slash tags. I can tag everything in this way to kind of use it as a permissioning and a curation system. So in
0: practice, is this going to be something that you see as like a feature bolted into a lot of different Bitcoin and Lightning wallets? Like in practice, how do you envision that looking?
1: I think that there'll be certain use cases that will be, you know, appropriate for certain applications and, you know, certain situations. So we'll, like I said before, it's a lot. I know what I'm saying sounds like, you know, like crazy in some, in some regards and like complicated or technical or stupid, maybe, I don't know. But like, there's a lot here that we're trying to do. And we understand that like, pretty much the only way to make it simple for people to consider and use is to just deploy it and and show how it can be used. And so we'll do our best to show like the appropriate use cases for slash tags within a mobile wallet and that will be the first way that we try to show these things. And so we'll we'll collaborate with some websites for supporting slash tags and some other services and we'll just show here here's how you can do it. But you can come up with a lot of other methods. I'm sure there are a lot of other ways that you can apply this that we won't think of, and I hope other people do. And then we'll show how you can do it, say, in a web platform, like a publishing platform, something like, you know, WordPress or Medium or any type of, you know, content distribution platform that you want to monetize. Um, Then we'll show how you can do it in a social media platform and show how basically this is a great bed and a great foundation for how to actually solve, you know, decentralized social media in a way that, like, can prevent censorship where you are the feed your key owns everything and you just decide which websites distribute it for you basically which websites get access to your core so they can serve it to other people and this kind of breaks apart the web into something that becomes local first so we'll do our best to show how to apply this stuff in actual applications and platforms but i do think that there's a lot of power behind it and that people will come up with all kinds of crazy ways to use it
0: gotcha so it's a show don't tell as they say right with the commercial uses, so could you spell out some examples? I mean, here's a few ideas I'm just thinking. As an example, you want to take donations. You say, hey, here's my slash tag. Or if you want to sign up with a service and they need to know where to pay you out, whether that's a exchange or a, some other thing, you'd be like, hey, here's my slash tag. You can pay me out to here. Are those the high level? That's what you're seeing it as? Or how are you seeing it in terms of commercial application there?
1: Sure. I I don't know I don't know if I would call that a commercial application because we're we're talking about basically like tipping or, you know, peer to peer payments. But I would say that yes, that actually is one of the first things that we'll try to demonstrate. So basically in the wallet there'll be roughly three or four use cases for slash tags. One of them would be slash tags accounts, which is just basically showing how you can use this for a website accounts. And so kind of similar to URL auth or OAuth or other things like this, just logging in by scanning a QR code. The difference is here that both sides are authenticating. So it isn't just you proving you have a key, it's the website proving it still has the key that it purported to be last time you were at that website. So this way you can kind of prevent some man in the middle attacks and phishing attacks like this. It also supports within that slash tags accounts uh, feature. Schemas which allow you to basically assign the metadata to the user for their account in the website, which extends to the next feature, which is slash tags feeds. And so, like within our wallet, you'll basically automatically authenticate to any websites that you have that are using that you are using with slash tags, and it will pull your current account data, and you'll be able to view that within the wallet. So, for example, like you might be able to see your current Bitfinex profit and loss within the wallet, or your current Bitfinex balance within the wallet, or you might be able to see like how many bit refill gift cards you have, or how much balance you have in open, unused gift cards, like any type of abstraction of data that that website wants to provide in a kind of encrypted feed to your slash tag key, you'll be able to kind of pull that automatically into the wallet and just kind of get a a broad view or a kind of bird's eye view of your account without actually visiting the website at all if you don't want to. Um, So that's, that's one use case is slash tags accounts with slash tags feeds. And then you have slash tags contacts, which is basically very, very similar, except it's like replacing the contacts user experience in your phone with, you know, this whole slash tags kind of method of contacting people so again the users will be able to prove they have both keys this is kind of a way of like creating an actual user experience where people kind of try to do a pgp keys when they like do like when they meet in person and give each other the keys like this is a way to kind of automate and do this with with uh with key pairs so you can kind of authenticate with each other and then add that person as a contact and when you do that you're basically enabling the the slash pay features as well because now you have their information to find them on the dh and so, when you want to say pay to a contact, you're not storing like an on-chain address. You're you're storing a pub key that is not not a Bitcoin key. It's not for paying to directly. It's for it's for contacting that person on the network to figure out how to pay them right now. And so you can coordinate the payment on the fly. So the user experience in the wallet for slash pay, which is the final feature that will be there, integrated with with slash, slash contacts, would be basically if you're looking at your your portfolio page, you know your your main. Page on your wallet, you can swipe down from the top. It will show your QR code, your slash tag. And that QR code, you, you can show it to anybody. And if they scan it, they basically add you as a contact and they have the information they need to be able to pay you anytime. And when they try to pay you, again, it won't be a static Bitcoin address that you're like using over and over. It will be like contacting you and asking you to generate a new payment method on current standards so basically if i try to pay you today your preference might be you know a SegWit legacy SegWit address but if i contact you tomorrow your payment preference might be a lightning invoice and depending on what i support on my side will depend on how i pay you every time i try to pay you but i always know how to contact you to pay you
0: back to the show in a moment have you checked out the new Bitcoin security hardware wallet coming from CoinKite? This is the ColdCard MK4. So there are already some teaser videos that people are sharing online. It's got NFC features which allows you to quickly share address information back and forth between your cold card wallet. It's like a little calculator-sized device and you can use this in various configurations whether you want to have the NFC turned on or off. You can pre-order the cold card MK4 over at the site and they've also got other material that you might be interested in like metal seed backup plates. So you can stamp in the 24 words for your seed and help ensure you don't lose your coins if your house goes up on fire. So that website is coinkite.com. A Bitcoin mining company through and through, Brains are producing unique and cutting-edge projects in the industry. They've got Brains OS Plus. This is firmware that you can install on your ASIC mining machine. It's custom firmware that allows you to stack more sats. It's auto-tuning to make sure that you get more hash rate for your electricity bill. So make sure you go and check out the website to see which mining machine models are supported and check if yours is supported because otherwise you're leaving sats on the table go to brains.com and they've got a range of things there they've also got this really cool insights dashboard which i like to check out it's got information around mining profitability calculations as well as really cool mining statistics so you can find that over on the website and the brains team are also hiring so make sure you go and check out that website that's brains.com it's brain spelled with two i's And finally, as the number is going up, everyone's seeing it going up and it's time to think about your security. Are you comfortable with your security setup? Have you gone and removed single points of failure? Unchained Capital can help you with this. You can bring two hardware wallets and set up for free on their website, unchained.com. Now, if you need guidance, they've got a concierge onboarding program. So they will ship you some hardware wallets if you need them and they'll do a video call with you to teach you how to do this even if you've never held your own private keys before. So this is the best time. Get your keys off the exchange or think about upgrading from your single signature hardware wallet with Unchained. They also deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault if you're doing the concierge onboarding program and there is some ongoing support. There's webinars and support time also. So go to unchained.com to take advantage of that program. program back to the show with john so one question is around the current let's say pgp like if i'm thinking of the pgp web of trust sort of model there's this idea of key revocation if let's say i lost that key or it got destroyed or i got hacked or something like that similar concept exists here with slash tags like you can revoke an, an old one
1: so because this is not um globally enforced revocation is kind of more you know uh about like propagating new information. And I actually believe that all revocation works this way and and you'll get some identity or PKI solutions trying to argue otherwise. And I, I think it's kind of bullshit. I think the problem is that once you have one key compromised, you're better off assuming all the keys that you know of that person are compromised than assuming that there's some master key that is somehow more protected than the key that was compromised. Because you don't know if it was the master that was compromised in the first place. So revocation is tricky because revocation is mostly about reputation. And this is why we choose the web of trust model instead of, say, like, for example, like Ion is using the blockchain as a broadcast mechanism. But that creates an assumption that the blockchain is always the authority. And that's not true. You you can lose your master key as well. And so while we will do our best to have, you know, good key management methods within the applications and promote good key management methods to users through the user experience, there's just always the chance that their master key has been compromised. And so, thus, using Web of Trust instead, you can basically say, okay, hey, uh, Stefan, John is behaving weirdly. Like, what's your current key for him? You know, like, who, who is who is John Cavallo to you right now? Because anybody could be me if my key is compromised, right? And you might happen to have met me in person that day and say, oh, John met me in person. He said he lost his key and he, t- he told me this is his new key. And then because I trust you, I'll say, okay, and then I'll start considering that this key is John. But basically the safest way to do a key revocation is to contact that user in a non-digital way or basically out of band from the way that they became compromised. And so we we, we would rather have that primitive be honest and say, look... If John's key is not behaving normally, you need to contact John. You need to find some other more confident way of contacting John and finding out what his new key is. Or you need to start trusting other people to give you a better idea of who John currently is. Because this is a digital realm. You just can't assume that there's some sort of like deterministic way to know which key is me just because I you, you, you got a message that I did a, did a revocation.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And the other question that came to my mind, or at least the idea, is that if you think about the modern surveillance world of super apps that the, these apps that try to do everything and be all end all right the the we of the world they try to have your payments and your contacts and your, all this kind of thing i'm thinking it's almost like what you're trying to build is almost like a, a more open version of that but the idea is you're trying to replace the hierarchy of you know making the consumer the the user have a little bit more sovereignty at least that's how i'm seeing it obviously this is an ambitious vision for sure but uh, at least that's how i'm i'm seeing it am, am i characterizing that correctly there
1: you are characterizing it exactly correctly literally in the original like like we didn't make a pitch deck because we weren't trying to raise money we've always kind of been were like a subdivision of the Tether and Bitfinex family of companies. And so I didn't have to do a pitch deck, but I did have to do basically like a vision deck where I explained what the hell my plan, what what the hell we were going to do as a company to like the accountants, to the legal team, to, you know, to everybody involved. And within that pitch deck, it, there's literally a section talking about, you know, like how the kind of dream right now in the tech world is the is creating a walled g- garden and creating basically the WeChat experience. Facebook wants to do it everybody wants to do this face you know this is why facebook wanted to do um their their libra and all you know having their own currency it's why they bought whatsapp they were trying to recreate this total walled garden where everybody used them for everything and in our deck we basically are saying this is what we're trying to destroy we're trying to make basically an unwalled garden where instead of the centralized controller having you know total kind of walls put around you and you unable to leave without abandoning everything you can now um flip it on its head and say now the users own everything and they decide which distribution mechanisms they want to use and so we've taken this kind of platform and just made it interoperable so you can have all the same things we have today you can even trust entirely you can just keep using twitter the way you want but if twitter for example started using slash tags as an account mechanism instead you could also leave twitter whenever you wanted keep your feed keep your followers keep everything and just use a different website for for distribution now i doubt twitter will actually do that because they have shareholders and this walled garden is very valuable to them but in a world where slash tags exist and is becoming more and more popular over time you won't be able to run such a thing and compete the only way will basically be by providing it for free um, because people will be willing to use better more interoperable methods and the only way you'll be able to trick them into using your walled method will be to give it to them for free and so making them the product like like it is today
0: yeah fascinating stuff And so the project and the the company as it is now, so some some of the main products that customers are going to use, I guess most of them are going to start with, say, the mobile wallet, right? So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and is it going to be called like Synonym Wallet or what's the planning there?
1: Um, so the first product we're actually going to release is uh, the Blocktank LSP, which is basically a server API product for allowing people to be able to purchase Lightning channels, manage you know the information about their channels, and automate channels within platforms and, and apps and things like this. So that's actually the first thing, the formal product that we'll release. We'll release that within probably we're probably going to release it during the Bitcoin 2022 conference days, just to kind of. Be a part of all of that, you know, party. But that's ready already. Um, we actually did a sneak preview of it. To there's currently a hackathon going on uh, from the Bolt Fun community called Shock the Web, um, and so we're letting the hackers play with it right now and kind of give us a little early test on it. But um, that is how we're going to basically create better user experiences in our own wallet and in in Bitfinex actually as well to like give people ways to kind of automate and, and abstract away the complexities of lightning and withdrawing instantly from, platforms like bifinix um, that's the first thing we release and it'll also be how we end up bootstrapping when we start introducing tokens to the lightning network so when we want to do instant tether channels um, we'll be having block tank as a way for you to acquire liquidity to kind of bootstrap that network as well and that's that will be in tandem paired with our wallet um, the wallet will not be called synonym wallet um, I'm not sure if I can actually we have a name for the wallet I'm very happy with the name it took us a long time we had like three names we were very happy with before this but they, they didn't Passed through legal trademark processes and we finally landed on one but i think they're still filing the trademarks so i don't think i can actually say it yet but it's nice yeah it's it's short it's catchy and and i am happy with it it will have its own brand and its own name all of our products will have their own brand and their own name this way people can kind of enter our ecosystem through whatever door they prefer they don't have to like care what synonym is synonym is just kind of like the, the the top level umbrella company and all of the products have their own brands Um, And so that wallet will support Bitcoin, will support Lightning, it will support tokens on Lightning, it will support um, slash tags, accounts, contacts, and slash pay, um, and it will basically show how you can tie all of this into one mobile wallet experience. Um, after that, or maybe close to the same time as that, we'll release a version of the of the wallet for uh, as a Chrome extension. Um, it will have similar but different use cases, more appropriate to you know actually surfing the web, and that will be one way that we'll show now how you can use slash tags in ways while you're surfing the web as well, you know a little bit differently. Um, so so we'll automate some things. We're working with. Um, the team that's working on the web ln spec we're creating a kind of unified spec to handle both on-chain and off-chain transactions and kind of integrations within web pages like adding things like adding the ability to have markup language that's bitcoin specific within web pages this kind of thing um, but yeah, those are, those are the next few products, BlockTank, the the mobile wallet, and the, the Chrome extension wallet. Um, after that, we're just starting now on doing some of the more storage-related products. Um, probably what we'll release is something like a competitor to Google Drive or Dropbox, where it'll be like more of a decentralized marketplace for cloud storage. And that will be a primitive that we use ultimately for our publishing platform, which will be a way to use slash tags and HyperCore for just publishing any type of content and monetize it and um, that was what the biz website was meant to be a teaser for um, that. We released the biz, uh, my podcast, uh, the biz.pro. We released this maybe, I don't know, early on a year and a half ago. And I do a podcast once in a while. And we kind of show how you can monetize this in different creative ways. Um, we have a crowd wall feature in there to kind of unlock the podcast and we'll do a lot more things like that with publishing and slash tags to show how you can use all of this to do subscriptions, permissions, you know, tiers, VIP, basically gamification and and access kind of methods
0: oh that's cool yeah i'm excited to see what happens there and also the team has been sharing a little bit about tether and lightning so uh do you want to tell us a little bit about this like it's such a wacky and out there idea right because uh most people are thinking of it just as like oh i just do my bitcoin payments on the lightning network and of course as you were saying it's uh maybe a little bit more permissionless than that so do you want to give us an overview what's going on here with tether in lightning channels
1: Sure. So, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I tried to like model this post hyper Bitcoinization future, one of the questions I had to ask myself was like, how do we do finance? And what is basically what is finance after Bitcoin? And what I came to is a conclusion that most finance is actually fucking bullshit, man. Like it is all lies, bullshit, and mostly just arbitrage on the Cantillon effect. It's just trying to figure out how to deal with inflation and kind of game inflation. And that's it. And, the, and, and most finance is just not what it used to be. And what I determined and decided the kind of minimum form of finance that an economy actually needed was just the ability to use other people's money for something, um, you know, just to use credit. Basically, you need credit to be able to say, accelerate the growth of your business, you need other people's money. That's just the the minimum requirement to do any type of finance is financing. (laughs) Um, And so if that's true, I thought to myself, okay, what is the most Bitcoin compatible, you know, self-sovereign way to express credit in in a future economy? And I, I looked at Tether and I said, okay, well, that's interesting. And at the time when I came up with this idea, I was actually working at BitRefill and I said, well, wait, we could do gift cards as tokens instead, and they would be much, much more useful. It would basically be like gift cards 2.0. And that's why I started working on trying to find a way to get tokens onto Lightning. It was because I wanted to find a way to give merchants in any business a way to issue their own credit and have this have an aftermarket that was safe for users to be able to kind of sell back or resell this credit if they didn't want it anymore at any price they wanted, which is not something that's very safe to do right now. Like, for example, uh, Paxful is a very popular platform where you can kind of sell your gift cards but you have to trust there's a lot of scamming that's possible there's a lot of uh you know there's a lot of trust in that you have to like share basically a private key to sell these things and so i thought okay well if we if we change gift cards to be tokens we kind of get rid of a lot of the trust issues with how this works and you can kind of make an improved way of doing gift cards and i saw and then i thought okay well why are we even caring about dollars anymore? Like, what is the best way to decentralize this kind of thing that we're trying to kill in the first place? And then at first I thought, okay, well, we just need more people issuing dollars. In other words, instead of just trusting one bank or two or three banks like Tether and USDC and now we have this USDT, I mean, UST thing, which really seems like a scam to me if you ask my opinion. But um, uh, instead of having these huge mega banks that are distributing dollars, why wouldn't you just want credit like gift cards from the businesses you actually trust and rely on within your day-to-day use? Why not have like a synergistic relationship with the businesses you rely on? And if you're going to use credit, use credit from them instead of from the bank um, of, of whatever name that is most popular. And I thought, okay, well, if we're going to distribute the credit, why are we going to distribute it in dollars? Why are we going to keep promoting this dollar, you know, imperialism everywhere? It's it's crazy. And then I thought, okay, well, why don't we have it so people can, de- you know, denominate these things however they want. And so the idea and the reason why we're doing lightning tokens is all of these things, is to distribute so you can have more issues of dollars, to distribute so you can kind of upgrade credit for merchants to be more like gift tokens, but then finally, hopefully, to show people that you don't need even need to denominate these things in dollars anymore. You can denominate them in the product. So instead of like you know uh, Starbucks creating a one dollar token they could create a large coffee token or a croissant token or whatever token for each of their products and they can have an open marketplace of people that decide what the aftermarket prices of these tokens in, and based off of the reputation of Starbucks to redeem them what they get for those tokens when they do redeem them and whether or not competitors want to try to compete and accept those tokens as well so basically like um, Dunkin Donuts or any coffee shop could say, sure, we accept a Starbucks large coffee token for one of our large coffees. Here you go. And then they could sell that token on an order book in the open marketplace to kind of get whatever form of money they prefer. So this allows total flexibility. It's almost like a a granularized, localized, uh, relative futures market um, for every product. And so if you kind of tokenize all the products and tokenize kind of sections of services like one month subscriptions you know one month of netflix or cell phone minutes or airline miles you can basically create these whole markets to actually decide what the current value of these things is are in an open market instead of denominated in dollars where that can be manipulated by the government
0: right and so i'm seeing it like that's going to be a really complicated sort of thing where if like the dunkin donuts manager is like do i accept the starbucks voucher but i i get the broader idea though
1: well it's only as complicated as if you don't automate it and because it's all digital you can um and because it's all digital bearer instrument you can you couldn't do this with actual gift cards because you have to trust whoever's holding them but when they become a bearer instrument you can actually automate all this stuff and you can price it however you want on the fly digitally Right.
0: And in in many cases, in practice, I mean, it could even be the genuine you wanted to give $50 and not a specific item. But even that, you could have that. Well, I guess the question then is how is that being done in terms of Lightning channels? And obviously, these are separate to the standard Lightning channels, right?
1: Well, the, the thing about Lightning is it's a liquidity network. And so no matter what you do, no matter what technology you invent for adding a new asset to Lightning. It's effectively a new network, and the only way a node will support it is if it also supports that abstraction at the same time as Bitcoin. And so, what we're really talking about, like I mentioned earlier, like there is no such thing as the Lightning network. It's just method of stringing compatible channels together. And now, if you start having more multiple types of channels, say HTLC, PTLC, uh, Omni Bolt tokens, and there will probably be other people that do different token formats on Lightning, it'll just be a matter of which assets you support and which networks those assets live on and now you can start you know complicating the routing process and creating like atomic swapping to make all of these different types of channels interoperable um, and I think you're you are going to see things like this within compatible channel types not just incompatible because of the asset but in, incompatible because of technology there will be more channel types as we go as new technologies arise like maybe CTV will have different channel types and L2 and uh, you know PTLC, HLC like I mentioned and so you can bridge these channel types, you know, abstract them into routing, you know, tables that include multiple networks and and just do you know having channels advertise exchange rates to provide this service and route anything but it'll always only be an extend as far as which nodes in your network and your lightning network support what and so when you're trying to send Bitcoin you might have a much broader network that you can route through but when you're trying to send tether you might have a more limited network um, and then the more unpopular the asset is and the more unpopular the method of of of, uh, transmitting that asset the the smaller that network will be and so you really need to have a very economically incentivized and, and relevant system for anything that you're trying to bootstrap into the lightning network or a lightning network or trying to have like interoperability across lightning networks and so the way that we're doing this is we're basically saying, okay, we'll make a wallet for it. We'll make an LSP server for it. And we'll basically create the minimum set of, of peers that you would need to, establish, to bootstrap this network. So you'll have the wallet. You'll have a server where you can purchase and manage getting channels to bootstrap liquidity. And then you'll have Bitfinex supporting it as an exchange. So you basically have all of the things, the minimum requirements that you would need to kind of use this asset. But you will still need more people to use this wallet, more people to open Open these kinds of channels and you'll still need you know, to be using nodes that understand multiple different asset types and multiple different protocol types to be able to kind of route across them Omnibolt does support atomic uh, atomic swapping as a concept so you will be able to route in the future at least I'm um, not right away um, in, in the beginning we're just trying to bootstrap a straight-up tether network um, but you'll be able to later do you know atomic swapping across different assets across Bitcoin so you can kind of link channels of incompatible assets together to create a broader network but that's only as necessary as it, as there's demand for it really right
0: i see so it's not that there's going to be this uh, dramatically massive multi-hop channel network for tether i mean it's possible in the future maybe
1: it literally could just be everybody connected to bitfinex everybody connected to block tank and everybody using our wallet it could be fine that way for a year but I don't think it will it will stay that way for a year. I think you, then you'll get another wallet that supports it and they'll start running a node and you get another exchange that supports it. They'll start running a node. You'll start getting some merchants like BitRefill and things like this supporting it. And now you start having a little economy and it will just grow as the way the Lightning Network is growing now. It might even grow faster than the Lightning Network is growing now and cause Lightning to get adopted even faster because now there's more use cases for technology that supports it.
0: Right, and uh, as you commented on Twitter, I think you were saying, oh yeah, it's nothing much. And you were showing, hey, the stablecoin volume. So, <laughs> I think this is one of those questions. It's hard for because obviously we see it like the world is transitioning to Bitcoin, but at the same time we see, particularly in developing countries, there are there is a there's a lot of people who really want stablecoins. And so I guess that's that's probably the point you were driving to there, right?
1: It is. Um, I'm just trying to keep the narrative not about promoting the dollar and fiat, but promoting credit and digital bear instruments as a concept. I think that's where the utility is coming from. Because Tether is anchored to blockchains, it is now able to be delivered as a bear instrument, which means that the only person you need to trust in the equation is Tether. You don't have to trust your counterparties. You can automate you know, the purchasing and you can have this the same Bitcoin trust mechanism in place because it's actually a digital bear instrument whereas you know if you're using like dollars that are digital otherwise they're in an account and so now you have to trust the government, you have to trust whoever's holding the account. And there's, there's usually two or three people in the chain that you have to trust just to have a digital dollar at minimum, and sometimes even more, because you're using payment processors, etc. And so if you're using, say, for example, systems like Strike, like Strike, the way it uses dollars and sends dollars is, is entirely digital, entirely custodial. Um, although, no, they, they are using Tether on Ethereum in, Argent- I mean, in Argentina in their latest implementation. But like, just, just as an example, like, that's, it's not no less different you know you can choose to trust tether or strike and i have no issue with somebody saying they trust strike more than tether but it's the same thing like if if you're trusting strike to use tether now you're trusting tether and strike and whatever blockchain that they're choosing to deliver that over and the lightning network and and instead what we're saying is you can just do this all on bitcoin and keep the minimum amount of trust required which is the trust from the issuer and then all you have to do is enforce your your place on the Lightning network, you know, making sure you're online to enforce, you know, any any sort of malicious channel closures. That's that's the trade off with Lightning. Um, as long as you're you're willing to take the same trade offs Lightning has for Bitcoin, now all you really have to trust is the issuer, and that makes things a lot more useful. So I think that that's why people like Tether. It's not because they had dollars and they love dollars. It's because they want to be able to have these the the dollar kind of volatility profile in a digital bearer instrument.
0: See, and also you are a little more, let's say, bearish on the idea, or maybe you're more anti the idea of, let's say, stable channels or DLC stable channels as opposed to using Tether. So is that for a similar reason, like you were saying, around who you're trusting and what you're trusting?
1: It's similar. I don't know if I would. I haven't thought this deeply, but I don't think I would define it as bearish or against those ideas I'm against promoting those ideas as as like solutions for tether in other words in other words let's replace stable coins of the of the traditional sense which are just trusted credit let's replace those with these things I don't think that is the proper way to look at those things. I think those things are useful financial mechanisms that anybody should be have every right to create and every right to use without being, you know, you know, disparaged. But I think when you promote them as something that is somehow obviously better than an issued credit, I think you're making a big mistake. Um, because the problem is now, if I want to make, like, say, a wallet, for example, and put that in there, and say instead of using Tether and trusting this company that makes this product, I now I want you to trust this mechanism and enter this bet. And communicating to that user and fir- to the user in a, in a very transparent way is not very easy in the first place. Um, and then they're probably going to ignore you anyway. And so you're really making a decision for the user to put them in, a, in a, a new risk situation. They don't only have to trust anymore; they also have to basically put themselves at risk that the mechanism could somehow. Break in a way that's not in their favor, or basically, essentially, effectively liquidate them. Um, That's not a a possibility with Tether. Tether could take the money and run, I suppose. Like they could, you know, disappear and not do redemption anymore. Um, But the odds of that happening are are less likely than I think people think. Um, And I also think that, like, that's what reputation is for. And so, in a in a stable construction like a DLC or or a stable channel or any method that is using kind of a, a long versus a short or some kind of betting mechanism, you still have to trust somebody. You have to trust the Oracle. And then people just keep moving the goalposts and saying, well, you can have multiple Oracles. But they don't actually think about that. That doesn't exist yet. And so all Oracle systems right now are very centralized. And even the Oracle is getting their data from a very centralized data point. And so they're extremely incentivized to collude against the people in these stable constructions because they don't have much incentive not to. Like they, They have no reason they're not making a lot of money off of being an oracle there isn't a lot of money in that and if you start decentralizing oracles and creating like many oracles and trying to uh, uh, assemble a set of oracles to prevent collusion now they're even less incentivized to even provide the service at all in a reliable way because there's no money in that like if you're one of a hundred oracles what what, what do you think your your fee is going to be on providing that price it's going to be minuscule like the, the incentive to centralize is extremely high for oracles and so you might have to like deal with situations like what if there's one oracle pretending to be many like there's there's all kinds of weird problems in game theory that you're going to have to solve for multiple oracle systems which i want to mention is something we're trying to solve with webs of trust with slash tags but we're the only ones that are focused on actually like granularly making that something measurable and definable by the user, and we're still very early in that. And so I don't see anybody else trying to solve that problem. They're just talking about that it could be solved, but they're not solving it. They're just saying, use multiple, but multiple don't exist. And so you're trusting the Oracle just as much, if not more, than you're trusting Tether because Tether has a reputation to hold where they actually hold these assets, and they've been held accountable repeatedly by governments and you know stressful situations where they've had to prove this, and they try to over-collateralize. Your oracle has no dollars. He just has some small incentive to give you an accurate price and maybe get a little interest rate depending on the how the thing is constructed and then you having to trust your oracle you were maybe also having to trust a platform that's taking the counterside of the bet like there's all kinds of things in there that could go wrong and it is a trade and so now you have tax implications you have other complications like it's just nothing like the simplicity of attaching metadata to a bitcoin transaction and having a bear instrument issued by a trusted issuer it's just not the same thing so i don't think people should be arguing that it's a replacement and that it somehow fixes the problem it's just a new design that might have specific useful use cases for people and that's it definitely an interesting argument there now i'm also thinking
0: of the reason behind people using a say a stable channel or maybe some other mechanism where they're trusting somebody else it could also be for regulatory reasons like maybe they see in their mind they could see it like i'm doing this because I believe the U.S. government is going to clamp down harder on Tether or stablecoins or oh, that governments are going to outlaw some of these stablecoins. And that's why we need mechanisms that are theoretically, let's say theoretically, more censor resistant or government resistant.
1: What would you say to that? I would say why do, you, why do you think that if the government is going to clamp down on issued credit because that's what it is that they won't clamp down on oracles that are facilitating the same use case like an oracle is no more difficult to censor than Tether is It's they're, they're an entity you can find them in order for them to gain a reputation they have to identify themselves more and more to become more and more like Tether so you can either trust something that like you have no idea who it is which makes them a lot less trustworthy and a lot, a lot more likely to rug pull you at some point or you can trust a like physically known identifiable entity made out of real people. And that's going to be true about issue tokens and about oracles. They're like, look at it this way. Token issuers, they are oracles. They're the same thing. They're just providing you a price peg, they're telling you the information about it, and they're distributing it as tokens instead of as information. Oracles are the same thing as an issuer, but they don't have any assets. They only are giving you information, and that's it. And so you you have to pay them to provide that information, much like you have to pay Tether to deposit and withdraw and redeem your tokens, but they have no assets. And, so, and they have no reason to like not rug pull you at some point so why why would you trust them more in, 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 the, in the in the context of using them as a dollar substitute at least I could say trusting any of these things momentarily in other words like for a merchant who wants to like hedge accepting Bitcoin for 30 minutes. Why not yeah if if it's if it's affordable and you can get a good rate at hedging by either owning some tether for a while or shorting some bitcoin for a while through a construction yeah i, I can see use cases for that, but to hold it as your as your savings or to use it as your money on a day to day basis, it doesn't seem practical to me right, yeah, yeah,
0: all right well, a very um certainly very uh interesting ideas and an ambitious project overall with synonym and with slash tags and with. Uh, lightning uh, tether. So, do you have any thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? And of course, as we close out, where can they find you online and where can they find Synonym?
1: Sure. I would say, you know. I understand that what we're doing is ambitious and maybe not the typical narratives that are popular in some regards for some of these things. Um, But I would encourage people to just extend us the benefit of the doubt first and try these things on because we have put a lot of thought and a lot of rationale and a lot of, you know, just sincere desire to actually solve for Bitcoin and like that's all we're trying to do like I work for Bitcoin I work for no one else I will I will drop anything I'm doing ever to make to do the right Bitcoin thing that's that's my motive here and so I'm just trying to make sure Bitcoin wins as fast as possible as as confidently as possible and so Please keep that in mind when you're considering our designs, why we're doing the things we're doing, why we're making the choices we're making. There is motive behind them. There is rationale behind them. And I would love for you just to give us your consideration and to try the things we do as we release them. Because I think you'll find that with an open mind, they do make sense and they will hopefully be very useful alternatives to what you have today. As far as where you can find us, um, a number of places. We've got a website at synonym.to. We have... Uh, twitter at synonym underscore to i'm on twitter as bitcoin error log um we have the block tank product coming out soon i have a, a podcast called the biz pro um we're going to start doing a monthly spaces um from the synonym team where we talk about different topics and products and and uh use cases related to our our kind of vision um that first the first one will be uh tonight actually um i don't know when this podcast is airing but uh the the actual uh,
0: probably in a day or so
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so friday is when we're doing when recording this now and so tonight we'll have uh, we're going to be doing spaces with paulo from from bitfinex and tether about the 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 instant tether um lightning channel that we did as a demonstration um but yeah you know check us out on twitter check us out uh, check out our website uh look look for our wallet sometime in june hopefully as far as like at least an alpha version um and then throughout the year we're just going to keep releasing more demos and more cool uh, use cases for slash tags and new products
0: Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out myself. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Miami and also uh, giving the synonym wallet a go, or whatever the correct name is, uh, in <laughs> June. So uh, thanks for joining me, John.
1: Thanks for having me, man. See you later.
0: So let me know what you think about slash pay and tags. And one quick note before we finish up, I'm also speaking at an upcoming conference called LibertyCon. That's in Europe. That's in Prague, in Czech Republic. It's on the 23rd and 24th of April so the website for that is libertycon.net. And so this is going to be a libertarian-focused conference in Europe. And they've also got a code, Stefan Levera, for a discount if you're interested on getting tickets there. So looking forward to seeing some listeners and people out there. And to get the show notes, stefanlaveracom slash 362 for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels. <music>